and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello, folks, and welcome to another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward in the Sales Chat Show studio. We have Mr. Phil Jessen, Mr. Graham Jones, and I am Simon Hazeldean. And this episode is called You Will Fail to Make the Sale If You Don't Overcome This Buying Barrier. I'm leading the charge on this one, chaps. What I'm talking here is about the customer, or should I say the potential customer's perception of the risk of buying from you. So my my theory in inverted commas here, chaps, feel free to challenge is that every purchase has a risk from relatively low. There is a new bar of chocolate in the supermarket and it's going to cost you about a pound. And you think, well, if I buy it and I don't like it, I'll have wasted a pound, but it's only a pound, low risk. If you're buying a big piece of IT infrastructure or you're buying a higher ticket item, then obviously there is the more money you're spending, the more risky it is, or you're bringing in a new supplier to your organization, there's always a risk. So I think a lot of sales training and sales work will very correctly focus on understanding customers' needs, finding out what's important to them, challenging those needs, et cetera, and then showing in classic sales parlance how the benefits of our product or service meet those meet those needs and <clears throat> drive value for the customer. It's all very good stuff, uh, all about being kind of positive, Uh, about positive outcomes for the customer. Obviously, we may focus on the customer's pain. But I think what sometimes is maybe not considered enough is what do we need to do to make us safe to the customer to purchase? How do we de-risk our offer? How do we de-risk our our product. So I thought we'd just maybe brainstorm a few ideas um, and see what we can kind of come up with that we need to just consider. Because the, the, you might have done all the good work of building up the benefit and building up the value, but part of that value equation is the risk factor. How risky are you to work with? Mr. Jessen. Yes, well, I will kick us off with one idea, which we've covered on previous episodes, that being the value of testimonials from happy customers, brackets, like the person that we're talking to yeah. now. Brackets. So that might mean uh, similarity of market sector. It might mean similarity of job title. But somebody is more likely to be persuaded if they are a finance director by a compelling testimonial from a finance director. Uh, People like them. And of course, when you think about the testimonial, if you had to give a testimonial a job description, outlining what you want the testimonial to do, uh, there's really only one sentence that you would give it, and that is, your job is to provide convincing proof. And if there is convincing proof, with a capital P, that will go a long way to de-risk the proposition that the sales body is proposing. 
And I would add, we've also talked about using video in sales a lot. Video testimonials are probably more powerful. I have no proof for this, but are probably more powerful, definitely. And then you can always get it transcribed into a written testimonial as well. But get the person on camera if you can. Phones now, the videos, the cameras on phones are fantastic. So providing you've got half decent lighting or maybe a little external microphone or something, get some super high quality customer testimonials on video i think that's a really a really important thing for for people to be doing now um when i make presentations um it's quite common that people will have somewhere in a presentation you know logos of customers examples of people we've we've worked with something i've done that can work very powerfully is to show the customer some here we are you'd expect us to do this everybody does this mr or mrs customer here's some of the people we work with and then say if you'd like to talk to two or three of them or more of them you choose and uh, I'll connect you with them and I won't be involved in the conversation. We'll just connect you and you can ask them anything you want to ask. And it's really interesting that it often gets a very positive response. Very few people actually take me up on the offer of speaking directly to those customers, but it seems to maybe be that the act and some, some do by the way, but the act of offering you choose and you have that call one to one without me being involved seems to be a good a good convincer now obviously yeah. i'm not going to connect them with someone who we've not done a great job for right that yeah. will be that will be crazy right but i think it is just if a customer is willing to spend that extra time that can be very very powerful very powerful thing to do mr yeah. jones well Every purchase is a risk. Everything we do is a risk. Uh, even listening to this podcast is a risk. Um, Highly risky, probably. <laughs> <laughs> because you are risking not doing something else. And so your brain has weighed up the risks of doing something. So if you think about you know, crossing the road uh, and there's traffic on the road, your brain has got to work out what is the risk of going across the road now and what is the risk of waiting to cross the road? So the risk of going across the road now could be that the traffic is going to run you over. The risk of waiting could be that you wait too long because the traffic is so busy that you never get to the point where you want to be on the other side of the road. So your brain is trying to wake up, weigh up those two risks. And so it does it subconsciously. So every purchase, every sales situation has this weighing up of risks. Am I going to spend too much money on this or am i going to get value for money um, am i going to get the product or service that i want now um, and regardless of the money so where is the risk am i risking not getting the product or service or am i risking spending too much money and those decisions are largely subconscious mm. so various rules that people will look at so there are things called compensatory rules and non-compensatory decision-making rules. And so what we're trying to do whenever we're thinking about these kind of risks is, you know, can one problem compensate for another? Uh, or, you know, can some one situation compensate for another? Or does something not compensate for the extra price that we're being charged, the price we're being charged? So, and all of that is going on subconsciously. So regardless of what your customer says about their decision-making, 99.99% of it is done at the subconscious level where the brain is weighing up the risks. 
because so, I uh, I talk about this concept of uncomfortable brains don't buy, and that doesn't necessarily be an un- a conscious unconscious brain, but it's helping to reduce the risk to f- help them feel comfortable and it is often a feeling which is why phil's comments about testimonials are ah that person that person is like me ah they they are a similar job to me they are like me therefore oh i feel a little bit more comfortable Um, yeah well that's why the video video is better because the risk is less because you know that you can see a person saying it as opposed to reading it and you think your brain is going well anybody could have written that whereas now you see a person who you know, it looks like a customer, sounds like a customer is saying the right thing. Now your brain might go, well, it could be an actor, but you know, if it comes up with the caption of, you know, this is, you know, Mr. Blogs from, you know, whichever company, then you could to your brain can technically go, well, I could look him up on their website and make sure he's a real person, but you've had enough reassurance then that your risk is minimized. Whereas if you're going to a website that only has written testimonials, especially if it's, anonymous so it says you know from a customer yes you know a customer in the midlands said yeah so that becomes much more risky compared with the video testimony of a real person that you can identify with and one of the things i think uh, i like about the uh, the handheld phone shot of uh, the customer testimonial is that we're all used to handheld phone shots it does not need to be a marketing agency going out into the field with tripods and mics and goodness knows what. And that, that has much, much less credibility these days. I think another way of um, de-risking, I mean, the, these, these techniques are well known. It's the trial product pack, isn't yeah. it? In the mm. event of a new product, you know, have five of these and see how you get on with it. Um, in, the, um, uh, in, in the catalog world, of course, returns as a, as a concept is very well uh, known you know if you don't like it then send it back it's as simple as that and yeah. i think I, I think it's also about confidence and courage i mean in my in my own case in the training and consultancy world for 30 years on, on a few occasions people might have said to me well what happens if we if we don't get value for money uh, my answer to that was well if if you were to say that to me i i would actually refund your investment um, and during my career, um, uh, I, I did that once. I was never asked to refund the money, but on one occasion in 30 years, I chose to refund the money because I wasn't happy with the board's commitment to implement what I'd been talking about. And I didn't mm. want the chief executive to be wasting his money, and it was his money, um, any further. And that that boils down just to being confident and courageous when you know you have a value proposition up your sleeve well there's, there's two things for one you mentioned you mentioned the guarantee piece and obviously if you're able to give those i think i think it was the american marketeer jay abraham who popularized risk reversal so you take all of the risk away from the customer so like things like money back guarantees etc and i heard a story and and i'll have to i'll have to credit the person retrospectively when i can when i find out where i where i've heard it from but they were someone was helping a, a company with their value propositions and they were some underground technical underground piping and apparently they they it never it never rusted it never failed it never it never went and and so on and so forth and the person the person helping them with the marketing said well why don't you give them a lifetime guarantee 
And the person from the government said, well, there's no point because nothing ever goes wrong with them. It's just, they just, they never, you know, you don't, there's no point giving a lifetime guarantee. And the market, they went, you know, that's the point. Give a lifetime. The guy said, well, we're never going to have to live up to it because they never fail. You know, they never corrode. And they went, you need to tell them that there's never going to be, there's never going to be a problem. And apparently it was like, it took a while for the message to sink in. But why would you want to give a guarantee on something that's not going to go wrong? Because the customer doesn't know it's not going to go wrong. So if you are able to give them, it's very powerful. But you also talked about having that courage and conviction. You've got Professor Robert Cialdini, uh, the authority principle, the more of an authority you're seeing. Professor David Meisner's trust formula has credibility as part of it. Show them your track record. Don't be shy of telling them about your track record, your experience, the success you've brought for other people, kind of links to testimonials. But this is what we do. This is what we do. These are the results we've got for other companies. You're in You're in a safe, safe pair of hands, I think. So we talked about trials and pilots and demos. I think I would say... Don't underestimate the power of the current incumbent. Now, even if your service or offering is going to be better and the customer is saying they're a bit dissatisfied with the current incumbent, there's an awful lot of familiarity with the, and it's this better the devil you know phrase that you'll hear. And well, we've worked with them for 10 years and I know they're not brilliant, but at least they're safe and all that. And it might not just be the person you're talking to. It might be other people who are going to influence the buying decision who feel more comfortable with the current technology software system and i don't want to graham you must have some perspectives over the risk perception around change i guess from a psychological point of view and um, yeah i mean but the, the the perception of risk um comes down to survivability so it, the whole thing is linked to our survival instincts and so any change that happens our brain is constantly going is this going to affect my survival? Um, and it really is that basic as, as to what's going on. And so everything that we do, so many of the things that Cialdini talks about are you can link back to those survival instincts. Uh, and so it, it really is fundamental basic biology. So the more you do to help people understand that, you know, if they are moving to a new, you're their new supplier that they're moving to, the more you help them understand that this is uh, going to reduce the risk that they currently have, uh, then th that will help you. Because you said that um, they better the devil you know. Yeah, that means they're already saying there's a risk mm. because they're calling it a devil. So <laughs> there's an element of they understand there's a risk. So what you've got to demonstrate is that the risk for you is a considerably lower than the current risk they have. So that means you need to understand what risks they perceive in their incumbent. What do they think the risks are? Mm. Um, and then you can talk about how you could reduce that risk. So if the risk is, for example, uh, that business is in a position where, you know, they're ripe for takeover and who knows what will happen. You know, there's been lots of speculation about it over the last year or two. You can point out that, you know, your business is not going to be taken over, um, that your business is stable. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can point out about the stability of your business compared with an incumbent that's, you mm -hmm. know, liable to a merger or acquisition or something. I mean, obviously, I think, and, and we would always advocate being super careful about 
when you draw comparisons between your company and the competition because we don't want to be seen in any yeah, way. I wouldn't being, talk about the competition. I would just say how you know that they're, they're concerned about a merger mm. or acquisition. So you don't talk about the company. You talk about the stability of your company. Yeah. So their brain can work out. So you're not having to say anything negative about the competition. You're not talking about the competition. You're talking about the risk. So the risk of a stable company, that's what you're trying to get yeah. them to realize that the risk with you is lower. I mean, oh, it might be something something else that they're, they're worried about. It might be, you know, increased prices uh, that, you know, and you just point out that we fixed our prices for the next two years or something like that, you know, that, mm. that you know that's what they're worried about, but you're not talking about the competition. Well, I think also, Amy, even if you are going to reference competition and you are going to do it, you know, it's more around, well, what's the risk of doing nothing? If you if you are somewhat dissatisfied with what you're currently having, if you do nothing, what is going to happen to that over the next two to three years, right? I'd say, is your the customers that you serve are their expectations not going to be fulfilled? And if so, what might what that might for the organization? So you're sort of trying to sort of counterbalance the seesaw or the teeter totter, I think, as they refer to them in America, aren't they? About the the risk of doing nothing with the risk of of doing something yeah. and balancing those. I was actually I was lecturing students this morning and talking to them about probability and risk and was getting them to understand that actually, you know, if you can work out that your company, if somebody embezzled your company, you know, somebody in the accounts department, looking at you know, the history of embezzlement and looking at, um, you know, the financial collapse that caused to those businesses, you can work out what the average impact of embezzlement in your industry sector is because you know those figures are on record um, but you've then got to work out what the probability of that is so the probability of that in the example i was giving was five percent so it's very i it's very rare that people do embezzle any funds and so you then know what if you're planning this for the next 10 years you can then work out what the financial impact for the next 10 years of embezzlement is going to be so in the example i was giving students when you take the probability you take the average amount of embezzlement it's going to cost a business an average of thirty thousand pounds a year uh, whereas the risk of uh, the cost of um, having your mains electricity supply go down the cost of that was lower. So I can't remember what the actual, you know, typical cost of a power supply is to a business. Uh, but the probability of that is 30%. So when you work out the annual cost, the annual cost to the business for embezzlement is 30,000. The annual cost of um, getting a power supply problem is 50,000. So actually, you can forget about worrying about embezzlement it's high profile but it's highly unlikely to happen and even if it does happen the financial risk is low whereas a lot of businesses don't realize that the power supply to their company is fundamental and you've got a high prob higher probability of it happening and the financial risk of not doing something about power supply is much greater financial hit to your business so we need to so if you were to do that for a customer yes. and you say 
you know, this is the financial risk of not doing something compared with doing this, they can begin to see that actually the financial benefit over the next five years, for example, will be greater to come with you. Mm. So those kind of calculations are really important in helping people understand the true financial risk of what they're doing. Well, it's a recalibration, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, there is some risk, but it's relatively small versus yeah. the versus the benefit, which helps to reduce it. Mr. Jesson. Yeah, just uh, one other comment, if I may, on the current incumbent. Uh, and I think what often happens uh, over a period of time is that uh, companies end up working uh, with the middle management person. Uh, so when, when we get the business, inevitably uh, it's a senior level sale, but over a period of time, uh, we often get dropped into the middle management for the actual running of that contract. So if you put yourself in the position of the competitor that we're trying to displace, uh, yes, they may well now be working with a very comfortable middle manager who, who is used to their ways of working and does not want to change, particularly as he or she has only got another 18 months to go. Uh, so why would they bother all of the hard work, etc., uh, etc. Et so the point of my rambling is that uh, we need to make sure that we are selling at a very senior level. And as, as we've said before, um, if you're not known in the boardroom, uh, then you're going to be a supplier. If you are known in the boardroom, there's a very strong chance that you'll be a partner, and that's where we need to be. And senior leaders, the research shows, very heavily involved at early stage of the buying process, which actually, if you've got the right senior person, you can probably even trigger the buying process. By and they will also tend to be people who will be thinking further ahead in the organization than anyone else by the nature of their role. So therefore, you can have those conversations. And, and to them, risk is part of what they do, right? Where do I invest my money? Where do I not invest my money? So their risk tolerance is likely to be higher, uh, or at least... Um, you could probably put a stronger business case to yeah. them for taking a risk. And then, you know, then you're in, you're in a very, very early place. You're influencing buying criteria, or even maybe kicking the whole process off, which can help. You've obviously then got to not miss out the middle managers because they're going to be a critical part of it as well. But I yeah. think your, your comment is absolutely, absolutely right to, uh, you can probably create the greatest disruption to the current thinking at a C your level which then maybe will cascade down the organization yeah uh, mr jones any closing comments mr jason any closing comments no i'm done on that no i just think whatever you can do to demonstrate there's a reduction in risk in making the purchase the better yeah i mean that's where we've got to and it's trying to make it seem as safe as possible decision because particularly as graham was saying the never forget the power of that part of the brain that's operating below below what we might call the surface of the water below the, the conscious level is exerting a massive graham will return to this concept on a number of episodes and i think it's a very very important thing because it's it's more powerful i guess is, is at a, from a from a, a, a 
very bad summary of neuroscience. So that is the Dr. Colin Wallace, who's an expert in applied neuroscience, described it to me one time as the a mahout and an elephant. So the mahout is the guy sitting on the elephant riding it. And then the mahout is in Colin's, Colin's analogy is like the prefrontal cortex and the elephant is the mid brain, the emotional brain. And Colin says the mahout likes to think he's in charge. And he's only in charge until the elephant has a different idea. <clears throat> and I think that's a, a lovely analogy that if that emotional fear, that survival fear takes over, uh, the prefrontal cortex is probably not going to not going to stand a chance. So, gentlemen, thank you for that risky conversation. So we hope that's given you a few ideas, folks. It, knocking that risk out might be the last thing, that last barrier that you just need to get over to get that sale, folks. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Chat Show. There are now 250 episodes plus and growing in our back library or back catalogue. They are available from wherever you choose to download or get your podcasts from. Please remember to subscribe to the Sales Chat Show on your platform of your choice so you'll be uh, notified of new episodes that arrive, which they do on a regular and ongoing basis. So thank you very much, folks. Good luck and good selling. You have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. <laughs>